The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 56 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined this week with our guest host, Greg Hio in Toronto. Hello out there. And we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Well, I've got you here, Greg. Here's an opportunity for us on the podcast. Um, I assume you've listened to the last two or three shows that we've done. I'm not sure if you were involved in one. Where I'm, specifically, what three. I'm talking about is... Sorry? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Greg has been involved in all the podcasts. Have you not been following along with, with Greg's career, <laughs> his budding career on all the podcasts, every podcast <laughs> I listen to? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I don't mean, I don't mean, I'm not talking about Greg's, Greg's appearance on every podcast on iOS development in, in, on the planet. No, that's a different subject. No, I was talking about the, the, the debates that we've been having about the use of Swift in production yes. and or whatever, right? Now, yes. you were involved with the, in the one where we talked about uh, Renee's talk about the, uh, the trip to the uh, to Mount Doom. Were you there for that one? Yeah, yeah that was our um, 360i dev episode, yeah. Right, right. But we didn't talk about his, his you, were, you, were on that, you were on that show. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. We, no, I, I listened to the following two or three or however many it's been, though. Yeah, I listened okay, to that. Okay, that's the reason I want to ask you that is because, you know, of, of all of the hosts on the show, I mean, I, as you know, I, I still work in, I, in Objective-C and Swift at the same time, but I know you spent a lot of time working in Swift. Um, what's your opinion on where the, the state, of, state of the union for Swift in, in general uh, where do you see it? You know, what would you recommend? I think we talked about uh, what you would you recommend to a new uh, developer. I think we talked about that on the 360i dev show. Yeah. What is your what's your take on the debate that's currently going on on uh, more just code podcasts about Swift? Yeah, it's definitely a balance. Swift is changing and will continue the change. That's true. As I argued, which Aaron did not accept the argument that iOS is also changing and there is some non-zero right. amount of work to do when the new version of ios comes out there is i f- fully admit a larger amount of work when changes to swift come out come out absolutely yeah but it's also yeah. some non-zero amount um so yeah you are going to have to update your swift as you go that's just a given that's the price you pay but what are the gains right that's the other important side of the equation it's just some people say it's easier to write some people say it's more concise you can do the functional stuff I think there was the mm-hmm. tweet or post, I forget which one, from Brad Larson, whose company, I forget the name of the company, but they do sort of robotic control software. And they sure. moved everything over to Swift, and they found that you know, 40% of the crashes that... Um, it prevented 40% of the crashes that they would have had in Objective-C just because of the safety built into the Swift language. And right, I know right. other people have also tweeted things like, oh, the performance increased. And so I think that's a definite plus on that side. If you want a little possible boost in performance, you want more safety checking, um, and not just safety checking like, oh, I, I don't know, this integer won't, like not bugs, but like actual crashes, like there's, you know, stuff that you can actually, measurable things like that, then, yeah. you know, it's worth looking into. But it's a balance. Maybe that's not worth it to you. Maybe you don't have a lot of crashes anyway, and you're fine, or you get a lot of memory. Facebook has a really good post about um, preventing crashes due to uh, insufficient memory, like not technically a crash but when ios kills your app but the user doesn't know they just mm-hmm. think your app crashed and they didn't use swift to fix it but they just right. had this long process of checking it over anyway so my point is it is a balance you have to decide it for yourself but i don't think the negatives that 
were discussed on this program about the negatives of Swift changing, keeping up with it, and having the language change under your feet, under your feet to put it um, extremely. Um, as always, it's a balance. That, that might be acceptable to you. And you're willing to go through the migration and update your Swift code as you go, and then you'll get the benefits mm-hmm. for it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't see myself as the Swift evangelist. If you never want to touch Swift, then, you know... I mean, to be perfectly honest, what, what do I care? You use Swift, you don't use Swift. I don't really care, personally. <laughs> I'm going to use it. Other people want to use it. That's great. But I don't feel the need to evangelize one way or the other. I'll just say what my experience is and what other people's experience have been. So pluses and minuses, right? That's what it's always about. You've got to look at it for your own. Yeah, and I can back you up on, the, on your point about the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're talking about Swift or iOS in general. I, for instance, was had a bug in one of my apps and I thought, oh, it's, it'll take me 10 minutes to fix that. Um, and sure enough, it did take me 10 minutes to fix it. But then once I got started to try to upload the app to the app store, I ran into all the sort of things that had broken between when the app was originally shipped and where we are today. Mm-hmm. And it took me 10 hours to get the app ready for the app store. Right. And that's yeah. just because of, you know, all the changes in 64 bit code. And in fact, you know, I was working with a junior developer at the time and he wrote one class for me. He had called CG uh, CG floats where, but he was using them as floats later on. Right. And that was one spot where I got tripped up and I went, oh, well, there's an example. And I thought perfectly example of the fact that if I was using um, type values, I would have known that you know, I wouldn't have been able to use that value. Like the compiler would have just before I even finished typing the line of code would have said, no, that's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I switched it over to 64-bit code, which, which is where it got tripped up, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that it really, you can't do this, you know. You could do this before in 32-bit for some strange, I guess because of the bit length, byte length. They, right? they would be the same size sometimes and not otherwise, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, and I think that that was like, you know, a showstopper for me. I'm like looking at, scratching my head going, what is going on here? And then when I actually dug into the actual error, I saw what the problem was. One other thing I'll bring up is that the Swift versions are currently tied to Xcode versions, right? So someone was asking, I want to upgrade to 7, and um, I, but I still, I want to compile against iOS 9, but I still have yeah. Swift 1.2 code. And it's like, no, Xcode is now tied, the way it works now is tied to Swift. So you're kind of stuck with that now. So that's the... Uh, I think I would consider that another downside is having it tied like that. But then on the opposite side, that means that if you stay with Swift, you are also going to stay up to date with iOS versions, right? If you say, I'm going to move to Xcode 7, I'm going to write Swift 2 code, that means you can no longer target iOS 7? Did they drop 7 in Xcode 7? Um, they did. Anyway, yeah, you know, every time they, they drop... Yeah, every time they drop more iOS versions. And if you're staying up to date with Swift, you're, you are going to follow Apple's roadmap of which iOS version that you can support. Yeah, so true. I remember Jaime was saying that he's still, uh, your app at work is still supporting iOS 6. Is that right? On OfferUp? OfferUp is, uh, as far as I know, still on iOS 6. If you had moved to Swift <laughs> and you had redone everything in Swift 2 and you said Xcode 7 GM is here, we're going to compile our app. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to target iOS 6 anymore. So that's another thing with adopting Swift. If you keep up with Swift, you're also keeping up with Apple's schedule for older OS versions. All right. So while well, today was uh, Apple's big uh, event, called Siri give us a hint and um, obviously Siri was involved so well the first note I had down was that Apple is starting with examples about health that seems to be one of their new areas of focus right when they introduced the open source Mm -hmm. research kit and I guess part of the pitch of the watch they did start with the watch but part of the pitch of the watch was that it was going to be a health monitoring device as well and Mm -hmm. that was the example that they 
started with. There was another one later on, too, with the iPad Pro. But they started with a health example right off the bat. It was just interesting to see how their focus is shifted. And also, that gave a little bit of a hint about sort of segmenting their examples, where the watch was like, it's the personal device, it's all about health. And then later on, as we'll talk about Apple TV, it's like, oh, gaming, it's fun, it's entertainment. And they're, it's not that you can't do health-related stuff on the phone or that you can't have fun on the watch, but just the way that they're pitching the devices seems to be getting a little more segmented than usual, it seems. Well, and, and Tim, did, Tim Cook did start off with uh, talking about some numbers about the Apple Watch, you know, the, I think they, the number of people using it and, and the fact that people like the personal experience of closing the loop on those or closing the circles on those um, exercise programs as well, right? So, yeah, so Dr. Cameron Powell was on the show talking about, um, I think it was an Airstrip he's with, is that the company? Yeah, Airstrip. Um, and, yeah, so they were, they were giving examples of, of uh, you know, baby monitoring where it's now, they said it's now possible to separate the mother's heartbeat from the baby's heartbeat, which I guess is kind of a new thing, and, and actually display it up on the watch and keep track of things that way, which is kind of cool. That was cool. Other things that were interesting, because they, they talked about the fact that Airstrip using watchOS 2 animation, so they really pushed that piece, um, you know, hinting at what watchOS 2 can do. I also picked up on the fact that they have eye translate on the watch and giving you that other integration into WatchKit or WatchOS. And then they also talked about Facebook Messenger coming coming to the watch, and presumably that was a WatchOS 2 thing, although they didn't explicitly state it. Like The things in it looked like they were a bit more than what you'd expect out of uh, WatchOS 1. And they also talked about having uh, over 10,000 watch apps in the store, which mm. you know is a mm. fairly beefy number, but for those of you listening at home, that means there are only 10,000 watch apps as opposed to the you know, <laughs> one and a half million or whatever it is in the app store oh, proper. Oh, it's more than that, yeah. So yeah. there's still a room for you if you can build that awesome watch app. Other than that, they didn't talk about the watch too much, right? It was, or at least for, for new product related to software or new things for developers, it was primarily, hey, by the way, here's some some new bodies that we have, the gold and rolls gold. Mm. Um, yeah, the one that I had down was the Hermes branding, and yeah. they made their own yeah, oh, yeah. watch band, and they get their own custom Hermes-style face, which I imagine is sort of an exclusive, right? If I buy the cheap sport I'm not going to be able to install that watch face. And mm-hmm. oh, I, really? I, oh, okay. I made a note or I made some kind of a joke on Slack about, oh, it's like they, they're making white-labeled phones, basically, or white-labeled watches, right? They're saying, here's the watch, yeah. you make the band, you make your own face to fit your own brand, and, yeah. you know, there you go. So they've done one so far. I'm just curious to see if, they, if that's part of the... <laughs> I don't know how many of you bought the $10,000 gold watches because they're now offering 1%, gold. 1% of the watch. They're offering gold to us low-class plebes now. and with a, with a sport band. Well, it's gold-colored aluminum, right? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. But now it's like, so maybe, maybe the $10,000 gold Apple Watch isn't enough, and they have to partner with these high-end labels to say, hey, how about you make a fancy metal link bracelet with, you know, in your style, yeah. and you can make a custom watch face, and we'll sell that with your brand on it as an Apple Watch for... I don't even know how much it is, but, you know. Well, I totally think that that was part of the plan all along and not, not a new thing or a new way of capturing back um, that thing. Because, I mean, the whole watch market is the fashion market, and so Hermes is a perfect move for them. It basically moves that, means that the, the cachet of having an Apple Watch has moved up a notch because I, mean, I, I don't even know what the price is going to be, but it's not going to be like the kind of pricing we've seen so far for watch bands, you know, just because it's got their Hermes name on it, right? Mm-hmm. 
and that's going to bring that's going to bring other yeah it's going to bring other people in as well right and they've got that double loop leather strap that a lot of people seem to really dig apparently based on twitter yeah, I thought it was. I, I, at first, I thought it was a mistake that it was so long, but then when I saw the the picture of the model wearing it, that made sense. I guess I was like, "Oh, it's like a watch and a bracelet, right? It looks like you're wearing two <laughs> things almost. Like you're wearing a leather sure. cuff and you're wearing a watch." But it looked a little. I don't know. What do I know? It looked a little strange to me. But that's why I'm Ooh. not a high fashion person, I guess. I think it might split along gender lines too, because it seemed like it was a hundred percent, anecdotally, a hundred percent women on the Twitter feed that were like, "Oh my god, I want one of those." and I didn't see a single guy even comment on them. They'd be like, what is this Hermes, Hermes brand thing, right? That's what I would have said. Hermes, the Greek god, Yeah, Hermes. So I I follow Christina Warren, for instance, and I think she talks on a couple of podcasts. And so I see her on, and she was periscoping today from the hands-on thing afterwards. Um, And I followed her unboxing of her, she bought one of the pink leather um, bands, which was back-ordered like incredibly for some reason. Um, so she, I think she literally got that like two weeks ago. Um, but I was listening to a podcast. I think it was uh, Brianna Wu, her and um, I'm not sure if it was on Rocket, but the three of them were talking about the watch from a, a different perspective as a, as a fashion piece. They were totally sold on it. You know, when all of us male doubters were going, oh, I don't know, what we're gonna do I really need this? Do you need to know what my heartbeat is? And but from a, from a female perspective, I don't, I don't, and I don't want to box them into female. But I mean, from a fashion perspective, let's say. It's definitely something that's very important, like being able to choose the band that goes with your particular outfit, whether you, you know, you're running, you put the sport band on. If you're going to a business meeting, you put the leather, you know, the, the nice leather band on. And now they've got the two-tone leather, which is another sort of notch up in terms of uh, a fashion statement for, you know, if you're wearing a suit, you don't want to wear your Fleur Elastomer uh, band, right? So, But segueing over just for a second to the other side from the developer point of view is the fact that we've got the... Um, the two SDKs that came out today, right? The um, 7.0 is now Goldmaster, correct? Xcode 7. Xcode 7, you mean? About. Xcode 7. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, let me rephrase okay. that. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> the SD- SDKs. So Xcode 7 came out today, but but did that include the Watch 2.0? Or is that, because I know that's not coming officially until September 16th. Was that included? Did any of you guys check that out? Or Yeah, I thought it was included, because that's part of the, um, you know, when they ship Xcode, they ship the SDKs as part of it right yeah 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 well because that was the one thing was the seven the xcode 7 beta was up until now was the only way to build a watch 2.0 kind of app right yeah exactly no it does say xcode 7 gm includes the sdks for ios 9 watch os 2 and then the new xcode 71 beta includes the ios 9.1 beta because it supports the tv as well so is ios 9 out today or or is that delayed as well uh, maybe Depends how you're asking available? that. So the SDK is available. Yeah. SDK is available. It will no. not be available until September 16th, I think, from 16th, yeah. yeah, 16th is the date I have for 2.0. You can download the iOS 9 uh, GM, though, from um, from the developer portal. I just, want to, I just want to get an understanding of when, when this stuff goes live. Because normally at these kind of events, they kind of, and it's coming out today or it's coming out in six months or whatever. Yeah, so it's all next week for regular people. I'm interested to see what happens when people need to update. I mean, they did say iOS 9 is a little friendlier with disk space requirements, but I'm curious about people with phones and the paired watches, non-developers, how they're going to handle that. Because I think you have to do the phone first and then the watch second. And if you try to upgrade the watch, yeah, because the watch OS 2 won't work with iOS 8. And so if you try to upgrade your watch, it'll say... You got to do the phone first, and people do the phone, and then it's like, how do I do the? I'm just 
inter- interested to see how non-technical people get yeah, through yeah. that if they do it in the right order and if if there are any little <laughs> bugs or hiccups along the way what will happen well don't you remember there was i think it was ios 6 it was a lot of big issues with people doing upgrades they didn't wait long enough for itunes to finish syncing all the apps and because it weren't, wasn't doing over the air then right and because I had all kinds of customers calling me and going, oh, I've lost all my apps and all my data. It's because they didn't wait for iTunes to finish. Uh, finish Like the phone said it was done, right? But the, but iTunes said, hang on, i got to put all these apps in and all your data in. You know, that, I remember that took like an hour or something to, to update. Um, have you tried uh, Watch 2.0 on your watch yet, Greg? I have not tried it on my watch yet, no. I have... Well, on my iPad, I put iOS 9. That's the only thing I've... Only oh. new OS... Well, I've installed El Capitan as well, I guess. But I have an iPad yeah. with iOS 9, and that's it. The watch is still uh, watch OS 1, and my phone that's paired with it is my day-to-day carry phone, and that still right. has yeah, iOS yeah, 8. Yeah, yeah. So are you running uh, El Capitan on your Mac now? Like on Mac? one of them. My laptop has El Capitan, El Capitan and my main desktop oh. still has uh, Yosemite on it. Okay, And is that the one your main... Mac is the one you do like the majority of your work on, or yeah, well, you know, when I go out to the local cafe to work, I have the laptop with me, and that works sure, just fine yeah. too. But yeah, most of the yeah. work is uh, uh, at home on the desktop. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of chomping at the bit myself because right now I'm actually just shipped like three or four app updates, but I have to wait until they're you know on the app store and and we've gone through you know a couple of uh, smoke tests as as Jaime likes to call them um, before I you know update my equipment so because I, I need to be able to test with ios 8 and, and watch 1.0 and all that kind of stuff right so was there any other big product announcements today other than those different colored watch bands hmm <laughs> <laughs> el capitan is available september 30th that was oh no i i mean i was that was my my segue was i'll, I'll say it slowly this time was there any big product announcements today and when you say big other big <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the iPad Pro. It's real. <laughs> it's real, yeah. And what are your thoughts on the iPad Pro? He said pulling teeth. It's um it's pretty intriguing. Like, I mean, I, I so I happen to use the uh, iPad Air 2. I use a you know, the current full-size iPad that's available. Um mm-hmm. so a larger iPad for the kind of things that I do, uh you know, just largely kicking back Consuming media, you know, the side-by-side views of things would be great for iOS 9. Being able to go in and snap in that full-size keyboard when I really don't feel like going and grabbing the uh, MacBook Pro, um, mm-hmm. which is a whole lot less convenient of a form factor, um, just the way that I happen to kick back on the couch and do things. Are you talking, are you talking about the digital full-size keyboard or the are you talking about the cover? Have you got there yet? No, you're talking about the full width um like the digital keyboard that comes on the iPad Pro in landscape, right? Yeah, I mean, yes and yes, right? Because I, I have tried to use the, the keyboard, the virtual keyboard on, uh, on the iPad Air two, and it's serviceable, and you can kind of, contort your fingers in a way in which you could sort of mimic using a real keyboard, but, it's you can always mm-hmm. tell that you feel like you don't have the right space, and of course you don't have the, the feedback that a real keyboard would have, right? Physical buttons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I missed it. Did they, does the iPad Pro have haptic haptic feedback or haptic feedback? Yeah, I think they. I think it doesn't because they were saying. I think, I think from the hardware side, they were saying from a larger screen, it's a little bit more difficult to get precisely where the force touch was. 
And so oh, okay, there was right. some. I remember reading some rumor that just from the hardware side, maybe they wouldn't. It wouldn't make it into the iPad. But I saw right. someone either on Twitter or on Slack saying, "Oh, no force touch on the iPads," because it's mm. it seems to be a smaller device thing only, small screen thing only with the phones and, uh, and the watch, obviously. Speaking of the size, I liked when Phil Schiller was talk, comparing the iPad Pro with the iPad Air, and then he was comparing the thickness with the and the weight with the original iPad. And if you go back and you look, he says the iPad Pro is just 6.9 millimeters thin. Of course, they don't say 6.9 millimeters thick. Yeah. And the yeah. iPad Air 6.1. And then with a slight, you can hear this slight disappointment in his voice. And he says, you know, iPad Pro 6.9, iPad Air 6.1. Very, very close. And the tone of his voice is like he would have loved <laughs> he would have loved it if the iPad Pro were the same thickness or even thinner, of course, right? But yeah. the um I went back and I played it again and just the tone of his voice. Oh, almost like right. if it were Steve Jobs, he would have demanded and not even released the iPad Pro unless it was thinner. But um mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just it was just funny to hear. But looking back in five years, so the other stat they gave was one point five seven pounds for the iPad Pro, as opposed to the mm-hmm. original iPad, which came out at 1.54 pounds. So think about how much smaller and less capable that device was in just a short five years. You got something that just blows it away, right? I mean, 12.9 inches, 2732 by 2048 resolution, 5.6 million pixels, as they said. And the width of the device is the same as the height of the iPad Air 2, which is how they came up with that, that size. So I thought that was pretty neat because they're definitely looking at the whole size classes thing and what sort of side-by-side view would you have. And I mean, even with all of that performance jump, when he, when they were showing demoing the drawing with the Apple Pencil on the thing, um, and he was saying, oh, it's so great, it's such low latency. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that is not low latency. It, it, looked, it didn't look very good to me. Did, you, did any of you guys notice that? As they were drawing and moving the stylus around and the little trail was going behind it. I was like, no, there's still latency there. <laughs> you think really with all that extra processing power that they would have churned some of that to the, to the uh, touch display, the, you know, the capacitor or whatever, the capacitive display. But no, it, I, I still saw quite a bit of latency. So that didn't seem as impressive to me. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, that's one of the things I talked about when I talked about the... Um uh, using the iPad Air 2 with with the uh, pencil from 53, I don't, I hadn't really noticed any kind of latency at all. I mean, I mean, compared to using drawing on other things. In fact, I hadn't even realized that that, that I was benefiting from the speed of the iPad Air 2. But uh, that's weird. And I saw I was at a um, fan expo this weekend, and they had a display of um, Sketch was there, um, uh, Autodesk Sketch. They were showing the the Centique displays, where there's actually like a gap between where pen goes down on the display right and i know i've talked to tammy about that and she says you get used to it after a while but that's those are the kind of things that as artists people who draw those are things that bug us <laughs> you know but so i so my experience with with the stylus from um 53 on the ipad air 2 has been not a problem so it'd be interesting to see what the what the difference is with the apple pen sole on the ipad air 2 right mm-hmm. that's another product they announced today was the apple pencil right right the stylus but before we go into that, like I think it's, I, I would agree with with Greg that I I saw the delay. Did um, you? Yeah. Okay. But they were drawing very slowly. Did you notice how slowly they were drawing as they were doing all those intricate lines and then whatever? So you would think it would be able right. to keep up. Like imagine if they had like scribbled on the page, 
that I can understand not oh. keeping up. But he was drawing so slowly. I'm like, oh wow, that thing is trailing behind. But uh, yeah, sorry. Mm. Go ahead, Jaime. But, but but the other thing is like, but how does it feel, right? So so Tim brought up the the fact that the paper by 53's um, pencil, like their hardware mm-hmm. pencil. Uh, he has no problem with so maybe it feels good right because what we saw was blown up to like an imax theater size view looking at a very very fine microscope like oh my god that's like two feet behind of where of where he's drawing right (laughs) so it it might be different when you're actually using the device well the other thing too i mean uh, it looks to me like it's hard plastic stylus and i've never liked the feel as an artist of hard plastic against glass right the most successful styluses that i've used have sort of a foam uh nib on them and the the pencil from 53 has the whole end of it is which looks like a sharpened you know carpenter's pencil the whole end of it is is a sort of soft foam so you get much more tactile you get drag i mean that's that's what i'm talking about when you when you you know if you take a pencil and you go across a piece of paper try it sometime if you want you'll find that that there's actually some friction there's some drag right and that that's sort of a tactile thing and yet when you go with a frictionless surface like glass and plastic then the the feel isn't there for as an artist, that, that's the thing that bugs you. Well, there's no such thing as a frictionless surface, right? That's what they sell in the imaginary physics store, <laughs> <laughs> along with uh, superconducting, uh, you know. So let me rephrase that. <laughs> wires with zero resistance, right? That's where they sell that stuff. But yeah, no, I got what you mean. Smooth plastic on glass, that's got to be a little too smooth. But I don't, I'm, I've, I don't think I've ever used an actual it's, real it's professional less, stylus less before. Well, I mean, I'm comparing it to traditional media, like, yeah. You know, crayons and, and pastels and paintbrushes and stuff on paper and canvas and stuff like yeah. that, right? So, Even if you buy one is, of those, like, Wacom tablets with the pen, isn't the tablet itself, doesn't it have, like, a surface to it? Like, a little bit of a yeah, texture? Yeah, yeah. It does, right? Ex- mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. Like, I've been using styluses and, and graphics tablets since they came out back in, you know, the late 90s and 2000s and whatever. Um, and that's always bothered me. In fact, I used to, I used to on my... Uh, it was, I think it was in Tuos, and I used to tape a piece of paper on top of the, the stylus so that I, I would get that sort of um, pen-on-paper kind of feel, right? You see me with a piece of vellum sitting over top of my iPad Pro, and you'll know why. <laughs> right. So I think it's worth pointing out that, um, although it looks like a fantastic package they have here, I think it's kind of unfair to compare it to, like, a Cintiq, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. that costs $1,500, and all it is is a screen with the stylus right like it does zero else right you have to use an a legitimate other computer hooked up to the Cintiq to do stuff so it's uh you know, not as specialized of a tool um and therefore i think probably not as sophisticated as that that tool but that's not to say it's bad it looks pretty awesome but if you think about the actual size of it like the i mean like is one of the things you're curious about like i you know I've always liked the 13-inch Mac format as opposed to the 15-inch. And when you put them on top of each other, you really only get like an inch wider and maybe it's, you know, three-quarters of an inch taller. Did you did you see any sort of overlays or get any sense that it, it looked to me on some of the shots that I saw where they had the, all the products overlaid that it did look a little bit bigger than, than a, a traditional 9-inch iPad? Yeah, I think it, you probably have to try it out because I don't think it will translate as well. Now, I happen to be somebody who can easily tell the difference between a 13-inch and a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I mean, the 13-inch yeah, just seems yeah. like, for my taste, too small and unusable, just like because I like having the breathing room and the space. Um, <laughs> and I think the optical illusions also happen. Like, when you look at their their layups of the Apple Watch, it looks enormous on, you know, just drawn out or when they show their fancy videos. But when you see it on somebody's wrist, you're like, oh, 
Yeah, it's actually tiny. So I, I, here's the question that I have. And when they rolled out this new smart keyboard cover, mm-hmm. first thing I thought was it's a, it's a surface. And Jaime posted a, a comic, I think, and I saw somebody online tweet the comic earlier about, um, you know, the joke was when, when, I guess it was Steve Ballmer first introduced the Surface, you know, the, the joke is that he was getting some, some flack about the Microsoft iPad, right? And yet now here it is, two or three years later, Apple introduces a keyboard cover for the iPad. I mean, I'm sorry, Steve Jobs is rolling in his grave over the pencil and the cover. What do you think? I would disagree with both of those statements. So, really? one, let's clarify the fact when he was talking about the stylus, it was in reference to a phone, which is a completely different kind of model, right? Like the oh, iPad, I guess, yeah. The iPad Pro, just like the iPad, is not a mobile device, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg mm. was, was correct on that, right? It's, it's not mobile in the way that the iPhone or even the Apple Watch are mobile. It's mobile in the sense of like, being like a laptop, which is hardly mobile at all, right? You're not going to use that while you're walking down the street. You have to be stationary to use those devices for the most part. The other thing is like Steve Jobs would change his mind every five minutes if he had to. Like if he just decided, <laughs> it was like, yeah, you know what? Nobody would ever want to see video on a two-inch screen on the iPod. And what did they do not 20 minutes later? Oh, by the way, we've got video on the iPods. Right. So right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look too seriously into, into that aspect of it right like an unchanging thing but it is worth pointing out that like it essentially is a a surface pro 3 is what they've they've built here it's roughly same dimensions pricing is in the same ballpark and it's all said and done a key distinction being that the surface pro runs you know the full windows 10 it doesn't run windows rt uh, as opposed to this which runs ios and not mac os 10 right now i was gonna i was gonna say one thing about that is my one complaint about the ipad pro is or i guess in general in ios and and i know it has to do with sandboxing and all other kind of stuff and not being able to run executable files and stuff like that but no xcode for ipad pro i mean if you're going to replace my mac give me something to replace it with yeah well i mean i think that's just the answer it's it's not a mac replacement right it's like a whole new class of things that you can do on ipad but that's the reference it's not downsize your mac it's upsize the upsize the ipad right yeah also just going back on what you said about steve Jobs. personally i just i hate it whenever people are like when apple does something and people are like oh i really miss steve jobs <laughs> oh my god it drives me crazy i hate that because it's like who cares first of all who cares and second yeah. even even steve jobs said like i don't want you to run apple thinking what would i do but you have to run it i think to tim cook right i think that's the story and he said that, you, know, you have yeah, to just yeah. do what you want so whenever everyone says oh steve jobs would have loved this i'm always like yeah i don't care but also i think um like what jaime said about the stylus was that and i think back in those days what what they had with like palm pilots and things was resistive touch screens right which were like pressure sensitive right you have to push on them they weren't capacitive where you need a human finger to activate the activate the touch so you did need a sharp not sharp but like a pointy thing stick like thing to actually press into the screen right which means you have to have a stylus and that was the innovation of multi-touch and the iphone was that you could use your finger so i think in that sense that's sort of what steve jobs was if you want to take steve jobs's words as gospel that's sort of what he was talking about if you have a stylus then you know you blew it or whatever he said in the sense that ours is so much better. Stylus is only one point at a time. We've got multi-touch. Your fingers are always with you. It's as precise, even though it's not. I think he made that kind of claim. Apple Pencil is for the iPad, not for the little phone screen. So in that sense, I think it's fine. And again, even if he is rolling in his grave, then again, I would say who cares because it's a different, it's a 
different company now with a different That's true. product. We've moved, we've moved on from where he is before, exactly. Yeah. Um, but so one of the things I like about the, the coming back to the pencil from 53 is that, you know, I can use the pencil and, and you know, I can, um, and it has like, it re recognizes my palm on, on, the, on the surface so I don't have to worry about putting my hand down on it. Um, I think Dennis, is it Dennis DeLong or Dave DeLong? Who's the Apple guy? Dave DeLong, that name's, I've heard that name before. I would guess that. Yeah, Dave DeLong. He, he tweeted out today that somebody, I guess somebody must have asked about whether or not it has uh, palm resistance or something like that, or palm, it, it ignores your hand when you put it down on the, on the, the screen, which is one of the things that, that 53 worked into their software. But um, when I'm using the stylus, the, the tool reacts one way, and then when I take my finger and, and use it on the on the, the, the application, it becomes like a smudge, right? As, as it would in real life. I mean, that's just an artist thing. But it's interesting how the, you know, the use of a stylus is going to give you maybe more precise kind of um, ability to draw on, a, on the screen, whereas, you know, your finger is big and fat and clumsy. And, you know, the, I think the touch surface that must get registered on the device is much, much bigger, right? Can't get as fine and precise. $99 for the pencil. What do you guys think? The first guess I saw from someone in Slack was $20. And I said, no, nah, it's got to be like $40. <laughs> it turns out we're both, I doubled that one. It turns out it's more than double that. $99. What do you think? It's not a bad price. I mean, again, coming back to 53's pencil, I mean, their thing is around 60 bucks. And if you think about it, it's got electronics in it. It's got to have some sort of battery of some type. It's rechargeable, right? Because it's got the lightning connector on the end, right? Uh, right. For, and that's to take charge from the iPad. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, which is which is weird, but so you have to charge your iPad first, and then charge your pen, and then top your iPad back up again. I don't know. Anyway, you know, because but but from a stylus point of view, a lot of styluses have electronics built into them. They're not just a hunk of plastic, right? Like the Newton pen was, for instance. Yeah, I, I think ninety nine is is sort of an Apple ish price. I would think. So I'd say that's. But of course, you realize that's like one hundred and nineteen Canadian, eh, Greg? Oh, more than that. Remember, you said add $5 in the exchange. That's going to be like $150, maybe $150 even. Who knows? Yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be, if it's $99, it will be $119. But no, if you're, we were talking on the, we have a Canadian Slack group on the, uh, that a few of us Canucks talk about. Um, and we t had a little sign conversation about the pricing because the pricing is significantly higher for all of these products in Canada. Not great large amounts, but my rule of thumb is always add 50 bucks and then add the exchange rate. And that'll give you the price, pricing difference. I think 99 is a reasonable price. It's kind of, I mean, it took no time at all before talking about it. If I, if I had been sitting there thinking about it and wagering, I probably would have guessed 79 or 99. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kudos to the person who thought it'd be the same price as like a lightning cable because that just wasn't going to happen. I mean, that's not how <laughs> Apple's pricing model works. <laughs> I think 49 would be the next one if I was like being generous and thinking, oh, they'll keep it cheap and you'll buy like 20 of them because you'll have different colors to match your uh apple watch or something like your watch bands and apparently charges up really quickly um i don't have this in my notes i think i got this through twitter but i think you get like 30 minutes of charge after like 15 seconds once you fully top it up you get uh six hours 12 hours i forget how long they said it was i was gonna say 10 hours was my guess but yeah it was something like that yeah mm -hmm. well suppose the, the ipad is supposed to have a 10 hour battery air quotes by the way what do you think about that kind of lifespan I mean, it's not not really going to be ten hours. Let's be realistic. That's what the air quotes was for. But no, quite, quite the opposite. Like Apple is like the only one in the industry who actually gives uh, fairly conservative estimates. Um, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Like there's stuff. Uh, like, and let's be clear. Like, if you're hammering the heck out of your device, you're like playing a podcast at the same time. You're like crunching some 3D scene. Like, you're probably not going to get 
you know, that, that full live, that's for sure. But if you're, you know, using, you know, two apps side by side that are doing, you know, let's say drawing or while you're at the same time, you're browsing Twitter or something that probably will work. So like, I think your mileage may vary, but it's not the um, straight up fraud that other companies perpetrate. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems to be their so, number, right? They're like 10 hours is the magic number. Hit that. And as we've talked about before, as many other people talk about, why don't they just make it a little bit, not make it thinner and leave the same amount and then blah, 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 and we'll get more battery life. But for whatever their testing purposes, usage statistics say, that's just the magic number. So 10 hours, it's like a working day plus a little bit more, which I think is pretty good. But when they talked about the speakers, right, they, they showed a sort of sort of a digital overlay of, of where the guts are. So you don't have to take your iPad apart to see what, what's inside it. Just go back, watch the video. And in the middle of it was a, was a relatively small circuit board, not nearly as small as the circuit board in the new MacBook. But, you know, I think that must have something to do with the height of the thickness of the device. You've got so much for the, the screen itself, and then you've got so much for the integrated circuits and, and the, the bits and pieces that go in there, right? There's only so much you could squish out of that, right? The batteries, I don't think, take up that. I mean, they, they take up the rest of the space, but mm-hmm. and there was a large amount of space left for acoustic space for those uh, with the carbon fiber top on the four speakers they've got in there now right so i think those are the limits of why or how uh, how thin they can make the device right i don't think it has to do with the battery because obviously they, they had they if they cut down on the acoustics they could have had more more space for battery right well, it's just a matter of making it thicker, right? So the 6.9 millimeters make it 7 yeah. millimeters, and you get that 0.1, yeah. which sounds not a lot. But when you multiply that, again, to make volume by the length and the width of the thing, that's a lot more battery yeah. that you can you can fit in there. But anyway, that just seems to be their target. 10 hours for that. And then I think also the, don't, aren't the Mac, are the Macs like 7 hours, 9 hours, 10 no, hours? No, there's 13. Like 13 for the newest ones, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, the, MacBook, the MacBook Airs and, and MacBook 13s and whatever... They've had phenomenal battery life for the last few years. Yeah, it feels a little low considering if you have the smart keyboard plugged in. I guess, well, I don't think the keyboard draws a lot of current anyway, but you are sort of powering the keyboard, and when you plug in the pen, you're going to charge the pen every once in a while, which, again, I don't think takes too much current anyway, but with all these extra accessories, it seems like 10 hours. I wonder if that includes that or not, or even how big of a draw it is, but... Yeah, I guess right, 10 right. feels a little low because it does feel like it's getting into 12-inch um, MacBook territory. Um, so can we just agree to glance over the fact that Microsoft and Adobe were there and, and move on? Yeah, I'm surprised that people were uh, so surprised about some of that stuff. Like you could you could feel the the, the pall in the air when it was like, oh, yeah. well, Microsoft is coming up. It was like, oh, oh, it was like, really? Like they've been building stuff for iOS devices for a long time. They've gone into a whole... They've been building stuff for Macs for a long time. You know, they've they've been involved with Mac and Apple since, like, the the 80s. So I don't see where the surprise comes from there. But, I mean, like, we've been waiting for Office on the the iPad for a long time, right? So uh, this isn't their first kick at it, but this is a step forward, I believe, right? Right. They showed what what you could do, you know, when they, they took... Um, they took like a table in, in an embedded uh, an embedded table inside of a Word document and made some changes to it and, and did some other things, which make a lot of sense. Like that's the sort of thing you would do with an iPad Pro, right? So if you're going to be there with mm-hmm. a, a keyboard hooked up and you're changing charts and all sorts of other things, like that's one legitimate use case that uh, the yeah. Surface Pro ex- excels at, right? Like that's that's why the Surface yeah. Pro is even you know, successful at all. Yeah, I really like the multitasking demo because... 
I mean, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I can multitask. And then there seems to be this backlash where it's like, no, you know, you, your brain isn't as good as it. You need to single task and focus on one thing <laughs> at a time. And there seems to be this yeah. reverse thing. And as, maybe as is usual for Apple, they've said, you know what? Two is the perfect number. You can have two apps on screen at the same time because you have one thing you're looking at. And then there's the side accessory thing. Uh, like Jaime said, an example, you drag the chart over or whatever it is from Excel. And then you close Excel, you go back to your document. But it's like a primary and a secondary, almost the same philosophy as like Xcode and like the assistant, right? You can have two things on there that you can see. So I thought it was a good demo of what their vision of multitasking on these things is. But I think um, between what Adobe showed and Microsoft showed for developers listening to the podcast, there are some opportunities there, right, for productivity tools that uh, yeah. that might be interesting when enabled by the iPad Pro 2, oh, sorry, iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> iPad Pro 2, Pro 2 is today? next year. <laughs> you have a little inside um, information there you want to share with us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm also kind of wondering because the gamer side comes out, I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, you know, there were pretty nifty games for the Nintendo DS, which had a, you know, a stylus and a two screen setup mm. where you can imagine having uh, a couple of games that might be able to take care of using the multi-touch with your hands on one side and using the stylus for the other. Hmm. So, so folks have ever like used... Like using a split-screen split screen kind of effect, right? Yeah, I mean, even within the same app or maybe between several or two different apps just to add chaos yeah. to this whole thing. Well, here's, yeah, that's a, cool, that's a cool idea, actually. Think about it if you had if you want to have, like, multiplayer at the same time. Because, you know, when you, when you play multiplayer on your, on your television with your PlayStation or your Xbox and you get that split-screen thing, right? Either vertically or horizontally, you know, and then you have to look at the you have to look at your side as if you're racing against a buddy or something. Maybe there is an app to be built this way where you have you know your main app where you're interacting with it and you can see what your buddy's doing, you know, or something to that effect, or you're doing like a battleship kind of thing, you know, that that does open up a whole lot of possibilities for that. Yeah, asymmetric gameplay for multiplayer would be kind of interesting to see. So again, yeah. opportunities out there for folks. <laughs> I've got two more quick things about the iPad just to bring up. Okay, One yeah, was ahead. about the Johnny Ive thing where he is no longer in his white room and he's like a disembodied voice. He's like a spirit who just comes down to narrate now, it seems, which is unfortunate. We haven't right. actually, have we actually seen him in, the, in a while? It seems like it's been a while since I've actually seen him, which is too bad. Anyway, quick Johnny Ive. That's too bad. At least his voice is still but there. I, I, think, I think Johnny Ive is actually just another voice for Siri. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Everyone would switch to that voice if they had it. So no, but I'm. What I'm, I'm not saying as an option. I'm. I, I'm seriously. I think you know he died in a horrible plane crash, and they don't want to tell us, right? So they went in and reprogrammed Siri to have a, a male, you know, sexy British voice because we haven't seen him. So did you just well, recently did get his watch that Johnny Depp movie Transcendence? Is that no? No, I didn't. But that is that what that was about? That's basically the plot of the movie. Like a guy dies and he become his consciousness goes into the cloud. No, I was just I was lifting from Hollywood plot thirty seven. You know, <laughs> there's only like forty plots that they use in Hollywood movies. So I had my Johnny Ive note, and my second note about actually about iPad was the split in the lineup, where the divide between the cheap device and the latest device seems to be Touch oh, ID. Because yes. I was curious about why the iPad three disappeared and the iPad two kind of stayed in the spot of the cheapo device and then when i was browsing the compare um like when you go to the ipad page on the apple website now and they have like a chart kind of a compare all the ipads and if you look at Mm -hmm. the difference between the devices they're selling ipad mini 2 versus 4 and the ipad air i don't know the numbers 2 versus 1 versus 3 or whatever it is and the big difference between the two other than the chip is 
whether they have Touch ID seems to be a big thing. So that seems to be some kind of a differentiator that they're keeping, where the cheap device doesn't have Touch ID, and the latest one that they sell does have it. So um, I don't know. Are those Touch ID sensors still in short supply or expensive or whatever it is? But it just seems to be that's the split. Yeah, that's interesting because Touch ID is so critical going forward. Um, it's critical to Apple Pay. You know, it's so much more secure than, you know, well, one, not having a pin code at all, and two, having a really dumb one, and three, people just being able to watch you type in your pin code. So I'm, I'm very surprised that they didn't make it more get more of a standard part of the lineup. Yeah, I guess it's because it's the iPad, and at least there's no real... Well, it's not like mobile, like Apple, like Apple Pay on the go, and maybe that's part of it too, but it's just so convenient. You get you just get so used to it, right? You pick up an iPad, and you stick, you leave your thumb there, and you're like, oh, right, it's one of these ones. I got to type in the passcode. So um, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's too bad that that's the differentiator if they had just had like an a7 device with touch id as the cheap one and then a8 with touch id again as the expensive one that would have been nice but uh, it's too bad that just like those a5 devices that we're going to be left supporting until the end of time it's too bad that there are <laughs> still devices new devices being sold without touch id it seems a shame because that's so it was such a big selling point and touch id is so so good well it's true and uh... Another another pet peeve I have I just I just I didn't notice it until I went to this site you just uh, talked about with the comparison model comparisons, is that the cellular in the in the iPad Pro is only available in the 128 model. Mind you, there's no 64 gigabyte model, right? Oh yeah, big jump. Yeah. Oh, so 32 is the entry level. Huh. Yeah, I mean it would have been a slap in the face to have a 16 gig Pro model <laughs> iPad. Yeah. Pro. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean it, I didn't. I, I again I didn't do my homework, but. Um, and hopefully one of you guys did, but because uh, Aaron's talked about the interview with uh, Gruber and Phil Schiller about why Apple came up with a 16-inch device or 16-gig device at mm-hmm. all, right? And that's I think that's basically to lower the, the entry bar, right, for people, right? Well, he didn't actually say that on stage, but he said, "Oh, you know, we've got the cloud now, and you don't actually have to have a lot of stuff on device anymore." Maybe. Well, we're going right. to talk about the TV soon, but the TV seems to be sort of on that trajectory already. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, he didn't say, "Oh, we got you know, we got margins to keep or whatever." He didn't say that. He just said it's not as necessary these days. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, and I get that, but uh, I mean, my experience is with doesn't matter how big your device is, you're going to fill it up, right? Yeah, it's just it's odd that uh, the so I didn't realize there was there was uh, just one or two two sizes for the the pro mm-hmm. in terms of memory, and then and then the one because I I always get the cellular device because I love being able to be mobile when I'm working, right? But that is interesting what you were saying about the uh, the Touch ID and the iPad Mini Four. Um, I think we talked about this. I think Aaron said last week it was just going to be mentioned in a one sentence uh, comment, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they did, right? Yeah, I mean, it got the chip bump, and it had Touch ID already. It just has the A8 now, and that was it. I mean, there's not much to say. Yeah, because that was my... The reason I didn't buy the Mini last year, which is I like the Mini form factor myself, but the reason I didn't buy the Mini 3 was because it didn't have the the better chips, right? So even though it had Touch ID. Touch ID and gold paint was uh, last year's upgrade. And this year's upgrade is uh, (laughs) iPad Air 2-ish, you know, internals, and it was really kind of an FYI update. It's like, oh, by the way, iPad Mini 4 in this huge the lineup of gold. things that were showing you prices. Yeah. We've got the rose gold now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got the Mini 2. I'm probably going to keep it for another year. I mean, it doesn't have Touch yeah, ID, the iPad. which is too bad. But uh, the, I have the Mini 2, the Retina, the first right. Retina one. So no Touch ID. Oh. The one that they're selling now is the low-end iPad Mini. So I still have that. I'm probably gonna, I'm, I don't think I'm going to replace it this year. I think I, have the, I think I have the first Mini, actually. The one that's the same as the iPad 2. Yeah, that's the first original Mini. 
By the way, Jaime, um, so your dog introduced himself again this week. What's his name? My dog's Jaime. name is Pollo, like yo-yo Bo- with a P at the front. Pollo. Pollo is a little uh, little chihuahua that uh, gets upset <laughs> when he hears people outside sometimes. Good heavens, we're like halfway through. Um, oh, my God. Apple TV is <laughs> the next one, right? So they, they, they yeah. updated that thing. They hadn't updated in 20 years, I felt like. Not sure how many years it was. Yeah, and it's unfortunately, you know, it's funny. I was talking to... Uh, we Heart Games um, earlier, he just mentioned he bought an Apple TV, and I forgot that I just actually bought another Apple TV myself. Well, at sixty nine dollars US, it's it's pretty much disposable, right? I mean, you just like use them once and yeah. throw them away, right? <laughs> Watch a keynote, toss it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess the big news there is like there's an app, a brand new Apple TV, and it's an actual app development platform. Like, so mm-hmm. from a developer standpoint, that's like the hugest part of the news. Um, user-wise, of course, it's got uh, a multi-touch or, it, or at least a touch-enabled remote, like a, like a trackpad mechanism at the top. And it uses, uh, very similar to the Fire T- Amazon's Fire TV, it uses a search button that you can talk to Siri and say, hey, you know, show me comedies. Um, what did that person just say? Which is actually kind of a nifty feature where it goes back 30 seconds in time and temporarily turns on the closed caption so you could... Mm-hmm. see something where you didn't really understand what somebody was mumbling so that was pretty cool so user-wise seems like it's it's pretty nifty but for developers um kind of interesting right we can we can develop games for that we can develop apps for that they're universal is my understanding so that uh, i think that'll help folks do the transition we talked about ray moving over um one of the uh one of the games the tutorial games over very very small um it looks like the api is nearly one-to-one if it's not exactly one-to-one i mean just about every framework that's available on uh, ios is available to uh, tvos with the exception of uh persistence i think stuff like core data would not be available no i believe no there's core data yeah core data yeah yeah, the thing there is that there's no local storage allowed. I think the maximum size of the downloadable app is 200 megs, and then you have to use that new, um, what's it called? Yeah, where after the fact you go down up from the cloud and download your app resources after the fact. Um, so the maximum no, size is 200, resources. but and there's no local storage is the thing. If you want to store anything, if you're storing small bits of data, they say to use the iCloud key value store, which is the good working part of iCloud core data. Um, hmm. if that, no, it's not core data. You know, well, anyway, it's the good part of iCloud, I mean. And if you have lots mm-hmm. of data that you want to access, then they say they use CloudKit. CloudKit. And so that's what they mean. Because they say when your app starts up on the TV, then there's no guarantee that any data that you have locally is going to be there. So I guess you could put stuff there, but you can't rely on it. You have to, you have to go up into the cloud for that. But then that's interesting, because hmm. both of the things you just talked about, so the key value store and CloudKit are not core mm-hmm. data. Right, right. Oh, right. I mean, so you said there's, uh, there, there is still core data on there. If you want to use core data, you can use it. I guess like locally and mm-hmm. in memory cache. I think the thing with CloudKit is it's like a transport mechanism more than it is a core data replacement. Like you use CloudKit to move stuff back and forth, but you still need some local representation of it. So I think the idea right, is if right. you use core data locally as a cache or something. I think Aaron talked about this when he was talking about Magpie way back. Yeah, and yeah. if you use the local core data as almost almost as if it's a cache that can be reconstructed, then you have to pull in the data upstream from CloudKit. So okay. there's like no NS user defaults and the stuff like that on on the app. There's no like document folder. 
per se? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's what they were getting at. Like, there's just the app bundle, because when you do the downloadable resources, then I think it just adds it to the bundle somehow or something like that. And, right, right. Um, yeah, it just works in that way. Yeah, because I saw somebody mentioning today on Twitter that core data wasn't necessarily persistent. That's true. I mean, I guess when most folks, and, and, and certainly when I was thinking about it when I made my statement, was thinking about core data backed by a SQLite store, which is yeah. almost mm-hmm. always like 99 percent of the time that's what developers are using it for but but it doesn't have to be right so if you're writing unit tests right. you would absolutely be using the in-memory store which right. is what i'm hearing it sounds like that's what's would be the case here it was oh, still a little unclear because they just said you can't rely on it so i think like there still is a documents directory and you could put stuff there but i think the idea is just like on just like on an ios app if someone deletes your app and reinstalls it and doesn't restore from the backup then you could say well sorry i didn't you know the data was all local or a more advanced app would say, oh, we put it on our server, we put it in CloudKit, we put it somewhere, and we're going to restore it for you automatically. And I think that they're just saying that is the way you have to do it. Whereas on iOS, you don't necessarily have to do that. You can just put it locally and rely on user backups to keep the data across something horrible happening like the app, the, um, the person getting a new device or something like that. Uh, and that. But I think for the Apple TV, the expectation is, no, don't rely on that. We, we could wipe your documents directory anytime. You have to be able to reconstruct it from the cloud at any time. Although I think in practice, they're not going to delete your documents directory at random intervals. But the idea is that you, you have to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they did show some apps there that give, I think, folks a, an idea of what could be done, right? So um, one, of course, was sports related. So that was the MLB app that had the stats and the split screen and other things. And for you Canadians out there, um, <clears throat> they did mention NHL in 2016. So <laughs> Don't worry, <laughs> we've got all your sports ball or sports puck needs covered. And no NFL though. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 going to be a tough one. Um, I, it'll come, I think, eventually. You got two. They're the worst about it, don't they? Like, and even NBA has some kind of an online app viewing thing, don't they? They do, and and the NFL has um, sort of its own thing that it does. It, it really tries to push you towards you know their own media properties. So huh. they're. Uh, Two, two big behemoths battling each other here, I'm, I guarantee you, from a, a rights and, and pricing standpoint, I'm sure. So I think mm-hmm. from a business standpoint, that's part of the reason why MLB and NBA and NHL are showing up on uh, on Apple's stuff and, and you know premier things like the NFL might not be is because they kind of have to. I mean, the NFL is the number one, in America, I'm talking it for, right, is the number mm-hmm. one sport, like, by far. The other ones don't even matter compared to the NFL in terms of uh, all the money and so forth. They're kind of in a position of weakness, right? Like in America, MLB is like the third most popular sport. NHL is the fourth most popular sport, mm. right? So of course they want to like go say, hey, Apple wants to take 90% of our profit. Fine, sure, whatever. Like We hardly have any money as it is, relatively <laughs> speaking. And the NFL is like, oh, you've got this uh, Apple TV thing. Oh, that's cute. No, I'm not going to give you any of my money. <laughs> I will have my fans come to my website. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Crossy Road. Crossy Road, that was... My God, the only way to play Crossy Roads on the Apple TV. It's a, it's a, a, a different experience, though, right? Because, one, just the, the bigger area. So this is like Aaron's pro tip or cheater method of using the iPad in <laughs> landscape mode so you can see on the more. TV. only yeah. way to play, exactly. Yeah. And you've got the cooperative <laughs> mode where you can help each other right as long as one of you or not help each other or or i mean or you can be combative it can be competitive mode too um which is kind Mm -hmm. of fun like pushing the other one into traffic 
but the the competitive the sorry cooperative mode seemed kind of cool like oh you know my grandchild or my child is not so great at the game but we want to play together okay well i'm pretty good at the game so why don't we play cooperative oh they died well okay well i'll just get over to their little floating balloon and rescue them again (laughs) i think that sort of thing could be fun and i think um, getting back to last week's episode, right? So I talked about the fact that, that I don't see how the Apple TV could possibly compete in the enthusiast market. And everything that they showed oh, yes. today, like, is not enthusiast at all. It's In fact, it's, if anything, it would cover with the Nintendo Wii, uh, not the Wii U per se, but the Nintendo Wii did so well. And that's right. expanding the casual market, um, which was very successful for Nintendo. And Apple 10X more successful at expanding the casual market but not so much in the enthusiast market there, there were zero third party sorry first party controllers which means that sort of stuff is kind of dead in the water it won't be very successful um though i, I think it'll be fun to do um guitar hero by uh, harmonics mm. that they showed um and there mm. was a new property right the beat sports which is like a mishmash of uh guitar hero and wii sports it looks really fun and family friendly and everything, so that that'll be cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. My friend Brian know that that they showed they showcased Crossy Road, which is a Unity based game, and I think the Unity people tweeted something out saying, "Oh, look, Crossy Road," you know, in the Apple Apple keynote. And so apparently, maybe Unity has been doing some behind the scenes work to get Apple TV support um, for their SDK, which is nice to see some third party. Uh, game frameworks like that already getting on board with it. Oh, the other question I had was about um, input devices where they said, oh, if you have an iPhone or a iPod Touch, you can use that as a controller and have and jump into Crossy Road. But I was wondering, can you have multiple remotes? What if I buy, like, the Wii? What if I buy four of those uh, Siri remotes? Can I use all four of those mm. to play four-player cooperative Crossy Road? or Because I think when they were doing the Crossy Road demo, I think both of them had remotes, right? Pretty sure they because they were tethered they had the lightning cable plugged in i think they both had it so i was just curious how much are those going to be seeing as the pencil is a hundred dollars but then the apple tv itself starts at 150 so how much are they going to charge for an extra remote is what i was wondering mm. um, Ooh, that's a good question because yeah. that that would be interesting because i had a twitter conversation with uh, steve lubitz who um is from the isometric podcast the gaming podcast mm-hmm. and he was very concerned as a, a parent of i think two children if i remember correctly that you know, oh, you use your iPod Touch. He's like, what the, the iPod Touch is like $200. Like, I can't buy two of those <laughs> just so we can have a controller. Like, that's absurd. Yeah. So if you could have multiple Apple TV remotes and they were a more reasonable price, like just throwing a number out there, like forty nine ninety nine, um, I, I think it, I think that would work. Um, it wouldn't be great. It's not, not exactly cheap. That would be, I think, a nice primary method if you did choose to go out there and specifically buy extra remotes so that everybody in the family can play. And then also it's mm-hmm. kind of nice having the option of like, well, we've got these hand-me-down iPhones or these hand-me-down iPod touches that you can also have people jump in and play or, or have your friends come over and jump in and play. Um, yeah, I think that's, the, that's definitely the cool part. I mean, I remember those games where you could use... Uh, back in the GameCube days, I played this game, um, and you would watch the screen, but then everyone had their own Game Boy Advance or whatever it was back then that was plugged in as your controller. So you had your own little screen to look at, and then you had the main screen, kind of like how the Wii U is with the gamepad thing. But then the mm-hmm. problem with the gamepad is, I forget, the Wii U... Jaime, do you know the gamepad? Can you only have one gamepad per Wii U, or is it two that you're allowed per system? I think it's... It might be two, um, but in any case, you can have four players, so clearly not everybody can join in on the fun in the same way. Exactly. That was always the problem, right? Like when I played 
Mario Kart with my nieces and nephews. It's like, oh, one person gets to use the gamepad, which is awesome because you get to see your inventory, whatever yeah. is cool about it. And everyone else has to use those dumb controllers. And I'm wondering if, mm-hmm. if I'm playing a game on my Apple TV and I'm swinging around my iPod Touch, that's fine because I'm just using the accelerometer. But is, could there be a, you know, use the iPod or iPhone screen as like a secondary display for my Apple TV game? That's getting a little bit advanced. But if they allow that, then maybe this is the stealth way to get everyone... Like you said, I mean, have the parents buy two iPod Touches for the two kids to use as they're playing the game. Yeah, yeah. Did they not talk about the pricing of the of the Apple TV? They talked about the pricing. I've I've had a note there. Why two sizes? Why don't we skip ahead to that? I think it's one fifty and two hundred. Is that right for thirty two and sixty four? Is that what it is? That's what I have written down. Uh, one fifty and two hundred dollars for thirty two and sixty four. And my big question was why why do they have two sizes? Why don't they just have the thirty two? and just be done with it. I was just wondering why you would want the bigger one. Again, considering that apps can only have 200 megs initial download, of course, and they can download more stuff. And if all the stuff is streaming in from the cloud, even with caching, um, I hate to channel Bill Gates, but isn't 32 gigs enough for everybody? Or isn't 64 gigs enough for everybody? Like, why didn't they just make one model and not complicate the SKUs and all of the marketing stuff? That seemed a strange point to me. Yeah, that's a good one. I... I honestly don't know. I mean, it could be, um, you know, a margin scheme, like trying to raise average uh, selling price scheme, just like mm. the whole popcorn trick at the movie theater that we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. otherwise they, they could have made it simple and said, look, 64 gigs is what it's going to be. And we'll just eat it at 149 because 199 is probably too much given the competitors are 99 and below. Okay. I could see that. Um, or it could be that maybe 32 gigabytes is more than enough for everybody. But for the worry warts who are like, oh, I don't know. I, need, I might need more space. I better buy the 64 gig and plunk down. Like, yeah. well, there you go. The average yeah. selling like, price. Why not take the extra $50, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. An extra dollar uh, for that new 64 gig chip as opposed to the 32 gig. And they get the other <laughs> rest as pure profit. Well, you mean it doesn't cost $50 for another 32 gigs of RAM? That's madness. But um, I think yeah, they give you a discount when you buy those in bulk. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little strange, just because there's so much gnashing of teeth about sizing for the for the amount of uh, memory, flash memory that you get for iPads and iPhones. I thought for the Apple TV, it's traditionally always been just the single model, and now they're like, no, we're mm-hmm. going to split it up into two sizes. That just seemed a little bit of a shame to me. So I imagine it's the same with this. I was also speculating that if I were HBO and I were writing the HBO app, but I imagine the HBO app is allowed to store more than that when it caches content and not get killed. Like if the Apple TV is running low on space, I imagine it'll go around and delete app data, not uh, television apps. You know what I mean? Like it's going to go delete my Crossy Road data. And next time I launch Crossy Road, it's going to have to pull stuff down from CloudKit rather than go to the HBO app and delete a bunch of episodes, I'm, I'm guessing. So where are you getting this idea from? Uh, it's just speculation on my part. I'm just thinking, <laughs> you know, if I'm an, uh, basically I'm thinking if I'm an app and I'm storing a lot of data and I'm also storing it in CloudKit like a good citizen and they also have HBO yeah. Now and they have a bunch of episodes. And again, as things become space constrained, the Apple TV, the uh, TVOS has to decide what to delete. I'm guessing it's going to delete app data i think i think episodes. it's going my, my theory would be it just just like the phones it's going to tell you you know you, thank you very much for buying the game of thrones complete series you know for 500 dollars, but you have no room on your device yeah i mean the idea is it's supposed <laughs> to be streaming anyway right it's, it's more like i'm going to start playing this game of oh, thrones episodes and right. oh wow it started right away how awesome whereas sometimes you get a little spinner for five seconds while it's buffering and then it starts playing right so i imagine yeah. it's just for yeah. a nicer experience anyway it's not something that we're supposed to worry about um 
managing space. So one of our buddies, Aaron Douglas, mentioned today on the Slack, I think, that uh, it's not really going to be important until they have, or work really, until they have uh, user accounts on the device. Like, cause, like, you know, with Netflix, you have five accounts, right? So you can have, your kids can have an account, and you can have an account, and your wife can have an account. Um, do you think that's going to be something that's going to be an option in the Apple TV, or do you think that's necessary? I think eventually. Um, just yeah. like the way that Netflix is like, oh, who are you? Are you Jaime or are you kids? Oh, okay. Well, it's a very you know, coarse grained sort of thing. But uh, even being able to separate out that would be pretty good. Because as they showed it with Siri, it's like, hey, Siri, you know, oh, apologize. <laughs> you need to watch out for that. Um, you know, show me all the comedies. <laughs> but if it's like, you know, little kids like, yay, Siri, show me all of like the horror movies. And then they just get traumatized. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't want yeah. that to happen. I mean, that's, that's it's just too easy to do that. But so maybe eventually if they had um, like a Touch ID enabled thing on the uh, remote itself, which would be interesting, or, you know, uh, voice recognition. So you could do profiles like, you know, this is little Bobby and this is my Uncle Bob. So differentiate between the two and one can see certain content, the other can't. Yeah. I, could see I remember there was always speculation that whenever Apple did a iPad Pro that they would have something like that, like user accounts you could switch between, even like just like a husband and wife. Like, you know, I have my Apple ID with my stuff and you have yours and then the email account switch over and the iCloud data for all the apps switch over. And I remember thinking that for the iPad Pro they would do it, which I don't think they did. And then, yeah, same thing for the TV. I think um, what Aaron was saying on the Slack also was like pictures, like whose pictures are going to show up in the Photos app, right? You have to keep signing out and signing back in to see someone else's photos and who's you know who lives there too so yeah that's a that's a shame but i'm not sure what the solution there is for the tv maybe it's this is a leading question here but they also showed um guilt the shopping app on the apple tv sure and i saw yeah. a lot of people like wondering oh what's going on like why would we even bother uh, sort of activity on twitter um from my perspective i had immediately tweeted like oh guilt oh that's great i'd rather have an amazon app on the apple tv and there's some reasons why. That's yeah. not to say you won't have. Why was there yeah. no Apple Pay mention? As soon as she was doing the demo, adding stuff to the cart, I was like, oh, it's going to be Apple Pay. But it was like, oh, no, there's an Amex mm. number. And quickly go to the confirmation screen. Like, they just zip through it, fast forwarded through it. As soon as they said shopping on the <laughs> Apple TV, I'm like, oh, right, another opportunity to have Apple Pay. So that was missing, that, which yeah. I thought was right. interesting. Maybe because there's no Touch ID on the thing or whatever. But... Um, I mean, that would be perfect, right? I'll keep it all in the Apple Apple ecosystem. Oh, so you must have to enter like a pin code or something then if you're going to buy something on Apple TV. Again, they, they've sped through it. But from the way the women the women did in the demo, there was a screen that had like the last four digits of her Amex. And then it said, you know, thank you. We'll email you your receipt. And I assume that if you're doing it for real, you would have to type in, you know, like just like going on some random um, online store you've never been to where, you, you know, create an account. No. Check out as a guest. Yes. You'd have to type in your name and your address and all that stuff is what i was assuming um, because again if it were easier if it were seamless and it used apple pay or your apple id information like the billing address on your account i assume they would have said something like look how easy it is you don't have to type in your address you just you know it's uses your apple but they didn't say anything about it which makes me think that it has nothing and it's just like a web-based system where you have to go into that person's store that they set up in their app and type in all your information like a i don't know like a person from the 90s or something like that and just the fact that they Fast forwarded over it makes me think that there's no smooth integration in there, unfortunately. Uh, I think that the guilt thing clearly was a big seller in, in some markets. Like one of my clients um, is in, involved in the fashion market and she was totally all like she was 
excited like you would believe by seeing the guilt demo happen today um, and thinking about how she's going to move her her apps towards uh, towards something on the Apple TV for that purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it was quite interesting. Notwithstanding the Apple Pay argument, I mean the fact that, that the whole I can't I really don't see buying a suit on a on a TV screen as much as like wouldn't buy a suit on a computer screen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, know. Amazon. If they had Amazon and you could pay with Apple Pay, because then Apple's not going to take a thirty percent cut, right? If they had Amazon, you could pay with Apple Pay. I think that would have been like the number one mm. best demo they could have ever done. And this one, unfortunately, didn't. I don't know. Like you said, it was clothes, which seems like a strange thing to buy, just kind of based on the picture on the television, but clothes and then... People do it. People yeah. do it, though. So the, the lack of Apple Pay being mentioned there in Apple TV, which I didn't even notice, but is a, a very large omission now, is, is definitely interesting. And I think it opens up the path for PayPal-type folks to who do, would be that, that integrator amongst multiple mm-hmm. um, outfits. So you don't have to have yet another login with yet another uh, bit of things for um, setting up all your credentials and stuff um yeah exactly because if if you know tv is all about the apps and you had an amazon app and you had a guilt app and you had an app for every store you shop at and what every single one you've got to set up an account and enter your credit card it's just crazy so that's why i was surprised that there's no one if they want this thing to be a shopping platform too there's no sort of one-stop shopping secure secure enclave type thing with your credit card information or whatever which again they already have it's called apple pay so anyway it just seemed like a big omission and i think rather than guilt which seemed like it's much more of a so i'm trying to address some of the the twitter criticism that i saw and i think it might be in the weakness of uh, guilt as a shining example of what they were trying to show here (laughs) um i I think e-commerce is a valid thing to have on the apple tv guilt feels like it's the sort of thing that you would do on your ipad or even your mac uh, as a second screen experience while you're watching the latest episode of breaking bad or something right like you're you're binging through that um Mm -hmm. i don't see it as being the sort of thing you would do on the apple tv uh, other than the fact that it's you know it's a much you know it's a large screen it's a nice hd tv that you're working with i think the bits of e-commerce that are much more interesting are either in a split screen experience like oh i'm watching you know the baseball game whoops i forgot that i also need to do errands of some sort i need to buy some whatever household stuff mm-hmm. or collaborative um buying where it's like oh uh so me and my significant other like uh what was it we needed to buy okay well let's just instead of us huddling around the ipad um and, and or the you know the laptop we can just oh okay let's bring it up on the tv okay and this is why amazon was great i thought i was like okay well i need you know we need this we need this oh there was that other project that we wanted to do on the house so we need to buy these other things to our shopping list and then mm-hmm. let's just check out and go like, I think that would have been really, you know, killer to see. But the, you know, sort of single person just sort of browsing through um, clothing, I don't think is, is all that compelling. Because I think there are better options like the iPad or even the iPad Pro if you wanted a, a bigger screen to look at things. Yeah, so it sounds like we're this show is going to be kind of long. So we're going to break this up into two pieces and we'll continue on part two. So, Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They should look on Twitter. I am Greg Heo on Twitter. And you should look there. And Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs? On Twitter as well, as at Dev with the Hair. Cool. And I'm, twi- I'm on Twitter as well as Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And once again, we'll say goodbye until next time. Hey, bye. Bye. Goodbye. Say, good- say goodnight, boyo. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. 
We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening.